one of the 50 greatest NBA players of all time, Charles Barkley. Rich Ryan is my favorite coach. Why is that? Just to think about it, uh, a coach who is the freakiest of players, I love that. <laughs> the Academy Award-winning director, Steven Soderbergh. So when I do analysis, my name is Habituation. So I should refer to you, Steven Soderbergh, as the Habituation. Yes, that's my name. <laughs> what is your name again? The Habituation. He's none other than Reggie Wayne. I get a, a, a text on my two-way from Reed. Oh, it's my buddy. You know, it's my bro, my amigo, a padre, homie. Open it up and look at him. It says, Law dead. <laughs> I don't download many podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the Rich Eisen Podcast. Presented by Papa John's, is your host, Rich Eisen. Welcome to the first ever Super Bowl edition of the Rich Eisen Podcast, presented by Papa John's. Coming to you from North Texas, site of Super Bowl 45 between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Green Bay Packers. We have a great show in store for you with the Pittsburgh Steelers with six Lombardi trophies, taking on the Green Bay Packers with three Lombardi trophies, a trophy named after their legendary coach. Who better to lend perspective on what this game means than Steve Sable, the NFL filmsman himself, will join us on the week where his dad, Ed Sable, could go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Steve Sable is going to join us on this podcast. Joe Buck, who's calling the play-by-play of Super Bowl 45 on Fox, he will join us. We'll see if he's nervous. John McEnroe is going to join us on this podcast. John's a big-time sports fan. He clearly knows what it takes being a world-class champion athlete himself about how to perform on a big stage like the Super Bowl. Having won seven Grand Slam titles in his playing days, he's also one of the best analysts on television, CBS and NBC, sometimes does stuff for ESPN. So definitely want to ring John McEnroe up and get his unique take on Super Bowl Forty Five and also on the demise of the Jets. But uh, let's get to some players actually playing in the game. He is uh, from the Green Bay Packers, NFC Championship team. He is the man who picked off Caleb Haney and took it to the house creating Raji Island. Joining us now on the Rich Eisen podcast presented by Papa John's is my running mate from the combine a couple years ago, BJ Raji. How are you, BJ? Hey, Rich. What's going on, man? I'm doing fine. You know, so much has been made of of your big pick six, you know, you being a big guy and coming up with a big athletic play to go in the end zone. But you know that I know how much of an athlete you are, BJ. You know that. <laughs> definitely have some history together we do we do you know from the combine a couple years ago how my run was superimposed over yours and (laughs) and you you've got speed you've got speed i know that firsthand i know that (laughs) i like to think so you know uh i'm not not the fastest guy on the field but uh you know, with the, with the wider amount of distance, I can get I can get to where I need to go. Yes, <laughs> you can. <laughs> you sure can. And then and then I think what people really loved is how you busted out the dance right away. It seems like you yeah. had that one ready, BJ. You know what? Actually, I didn't because uh, if you, if you recall the the replay, mm-hmm. um, when I crossed the goal line, I actually looked to the ref to see uh if he if he if it was a touchdown or a fumble, and uh, I seen his hands go up. And then, you know, then my instincts just kicked in. And that's just the dance I did. And uh, it's funny that uh, my mom called me. She, 
she always goes she talks about how I did that dance when I was a little kid so I guess it just stuck with me I guess yes it's been deep within you and you busted it out in front of 50 million Americans uh, watching the game at home and so so you thought when you crossed the goal line that oh my gosh I may have actually fumbled the ball you didn't know right I knew it was a possibility that you know uh, that uh, they could have been ruled a fumble and I, I knew eventually with uh, with the uh, the challenge or something like that, that, that it would be overturned. But I wasn't sure at the time. I was just looking for the signal from the referee. Oh, I'm glad it worked out for you. You're now in your second year, and you really are playing at a high level right now, BJ. Is this um, is this something that um, that has been gradual? Uh, where 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 have you uh, turned the corner in your estimation in your second year as a professional? You know, I just feel like you know, I kind of understand the defense a little bit better. You know, I mean, Don doesn't ask too much of me. You know, uh, I'm a nose tackle, and I play tackle, and I sell packages. Um, just for the most part, just being comfortable in that scheme and, uh, you know, getting better pretty much. I think my, my ability to rush the pass has really um, improved a lot since the year one. Mm-hmm. And and what about Dom Capers? We're going to hear so much about him and the defense that he brings and the exotic blitz, the exotic blitzes and things of that nature. Uh, what what can you tell us about how you think you fit into this defense so well? Oh, uh, well, Dom, I mean, he does a great job with matchups. You know, uh, some weeks, depending on what type of offense we're playing, you know, we'll play a little more um, three four. You know, sometimes he feels that it's best that we might play our sub package a little more. I just don't um, have confidence in him. You know. Obviously, he has confidence in me. You know, he, he was one of the key components in drafting me. So uh, I think he does a great job as far as getting us ready to play and uh, having the right game plan for whatever team we play. Now, obviously, Marquise Pouncey, a lot of people are, are wondering whether he's going to play in this game. That's going to be the story of the whole week as to whether or not he's going to be ready. Uh, what are your thoughts on maybe going against a guy who's either gimpy or uh, a second-string guy that's going to be coming into the game, B.J.? Well, you know, I, I hope, you know, in a big game like this, I hope Maurice plays. You know, uh, he's a great player. You know, um, and I'm, I'm one of those guys that feel, um, you know, I want I want the whole team that we're playing to be intact when we play them, you know, because I don't want at the end, you know, if we were to win the, win the game, I don't want to hear so-and-so didn't play, so-and-so didn't do this. So I just want, I hope he gets healthy. I hope he's ready to play. Um, it's a big game for myself and himself. And he's a young player. He's going to be a great player, and I hope he's all right and he can play. Who's taking but, uh, you? Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just saying, I mean, speaking on the backup, you know, I haven't really watched too much film of him, so um, I'll have to watch a little more film, maybe go back to preseason or something like that to see um, exactly uh, how he plays. Well, I've got the Ligurski uh, dossier, the whole thing, if you need it, BJ. I can forward that to you. <laughs> you know, I've got it all. I've got all the, the Ligurski greatest hits. I've got them on DVD <laughs> just for you. That's that's how I roll, just for you. Um, what, who, who's taking you under his wing on that defensive line, BJ? You know what? I, I think it's a, it's a collective group. You know what? Because I say that because you know Ryan Pickett was our starting nose last year. So uh, Ryan, from that standpoint, as far as nose tackles, he's able to you know, help me. You know, um, learn different blocking schemes, how to play different blocking schemes. But at the same time, uh, Colin Jenkins is our uh, best pass rusher. So he's been able to show me some things out of the sub package on how to rush the passer and things like that. So I'm mean, after like and Howard Green, even though he's a new addition, I mean he's he's taught me some escape moves, get moves to get off blocks and uh, get a few extra tackles. Much is going to be made this week about the lack of Super Bowl experience uh, on right. this team. Certainly compared to a team that won it two years ago that you're playing against. 
What do you say about that? Certainly uh, being a young guy who's just a couple years removed from Boston College, BJ. Right. I mean, those speculations, you know, they, they, have, they have something to them. You know, I feel like, like, like we all know, Steelers have won the Super Bowl a couple years back. Um, you know, it's, most of our guys have never been. You know, I think only about two guys have been. So uh, from that standpoint, I mean, it's something to be said about that. But I feel like, you know, uh, we're going in the unknown. We don't, we don't know. We've never been here. At the same time, um, I trust the judgment of our players, of our coaching staff, of our entire organization. You know, we have some pretty smart guys, and uh, I think we'll handle it well. And it's it, it's interesting how uh, Charles Woodson is using uh, the president as a little bit of uh, a little motivating factor right now, right? Yeah, that was. I mean, Woods, uh, he's an excellent speaker. You know, he's, he's our leader. You know, it was just it was it was. I feel like it was important that he said that. You know, just the idea that you know we're not backing down. I mean, we're not we're not concerned with. Whose approval we have, or whose stamp? I mean, who who likes us and who doesn't? We're just going. We have we on a mission, and uh, we plan to complete our mission. Well, uh, who's spoken to you about how big this stage is? Because everybody that I work with, Marshall Falk, Deion Sanders, Warren Sapp, Michael Irvin, they all say that Tory Holt even said that you get winded in practice. I mean, just warming up. You know what I mean for the, a game like this? That it's <laughs> the, the stage is huge. It's bigger than you right. think. Who who, right. who have you have you reached out to anybody? Has anybody sat you down and talked to you about this sort of thing? You know what? To be honest, no. You know, uh, I'm 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 one of those people that feel that experience is the best teacher. You know, eventually, you know, I might I might reach out and talk to somebody about it. But it, but it's an experience. You know, uh, I feel like it's, it's going to be one of the greatest experiences of my life. Um, I have a lot of confidence in myself and our scheme and what we do. So, any like not just the Super Bowl, any game. I feel like the better prepared you are as far as practice and everything, the better you'll play. So, uh, like I might get a little more winded in practice, but not nah, whether we winded in practice and you know, we got catch that win in the game, you know. And what size belt is that that you strapped on after scoring a <laughs> touchdown, BJ? What size belt? You know, um, I don't. I mean, it depends on what belt we're talking about. We're talking about a WWF belt. I mean, it might need a little, a few more buttons at the end of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> you mean the one that fits Aaron Rodgers is not the one that could possibly fit you? Is that what you're saying? Most likely. Most likely that's not the case. Hey, listen, man. Every, I know, again, if anybody wants to know how big of an athlete you are, you just have to come to me. I know your 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 40 was like 504, something like that, at the Combine. Yeah. Was it something? Right, something like that. Yeah, mine. Mine was. Uh, my, I shaved mine last year down to six point two four. BJ <laughs> shaved it down. I can't imagine where it was before that. It wasn't good. I'll tell you that. It was worse. It was worse. <laughs> hey, listen. Thanks for coming on and uh, and giving us a few minutes uh, before the big game, BJ. We appreciate it. No problem, Rich. Take care. You bet. That's BJ Raji of the Green Bay Packers. He's going back to the Super Bowl. He is the. I guess, uh, go-to guy when Ben Roethlisberger's most in trouble. He's the tight end going back to the Super Bowl with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Heath Miller joining the podcast. How are you, Heath? I'm doing well. How are you? Is this old hat for you? It's old hat, right? The Super Bowl. Uh, this never gets old. Uh, you know, this is why you play um, to be in this game, and uh, we've put ourselves in position to, to accomplish our goal, so hopefully we can get it done. Hey, is this any different? Right now, the sensation of of going to the Super Bowl, or you, you must be old hat in terms of getting tickets and all that sort of stuff out of the way, real quick. Uh, well, it's never never quite easy to do that, but um, it's taken care of. So now we can move on and enjoy the the rest of the time before the game and, and get ready to play. Who call who who called for tickets that you couldn't believe called for tickets? Let's call somebody uh, out here, Keith. 
Well, uh, you know, this is the third time doing it, so I guess um, they kind of already know the answer. So I didn't have too many unexpected calls. What's the answer? The answer is like, hey, man, I mean, I'm playing in the Super Bowl. Get off my back. Is that the answer? <laughs> yeah, the answer is no most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough. It's one of those things it's tough to say is no. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so uh, everybody always talks about Big Ben extending the play. He extends the play. Uh, that sometimes the play doesn't really start until he's hit, which is different for most quarterbacks. What's it like for you uh, having to uh, run routes for a quarterback who is known for extending the play? What's that like, Keith? Well, I think he, uh, that's one of the special qualities that he has, and I think he's able to do what a lot of other quarterbacks can't do. And, uh, you know, that's that's once the play breaks down, he's able to make oftentimes big plays out of it. And, um, you know, it's basically when that happens, it's kind of a feel, you know, and uh, – we know if we find an open spot on the field, Ben will probably find us. So usually, how often is the route that you run the route that you actually were supposed to run uh, to catch the football from him? Uh, quite often, you know, okay. but if he's getting a lot of pressure, that's that's kind of when you break your route off and, and just kind of try to get into his vision. Um, you know, that he can break tackles in the pocket if um, – if, uh, a blitzer gets through, he can shake him and, and, and shake loose. So, uh, you know, that's one of his special qualities. What are you seeing on film about this Green Bay defense that's different from last year's Week 15 game that you guys uh, had a huge, like, pinball machine-like offensive outburst? Well, uh, they got a lot of the same faces, but um, the secondary, they got some new guys, and, and they're playing really well this year. Obviously, their defense does a lot of similar things that our our defense does, a lot of the zone blitzes. Um, Clay Matthews is playing really well. Charles Woodson is one of the best players in the league, and uh, so you, they're really good. We've got to we've got to play one of our best games offensively. And uh, how has Tomlin been as the head coach in making this a seamless transition from the Cower administration? Because so many times you see head coaches change, um, and and fortunes change because of it. How how has Tomlin been able to keep things so seamless and get you back to the Super Bowl again? Well, I think he's did a good job of that. But you know, the the thing is, he was he was himself from day one. He never tried to be Coach Cower. Um, he was going to come in and do things the way he wanted to do it, the way he believed it should be done. And uh, you know, there was a little different, some differences there. But uh, I think eventually everybody got used to it, bought into the system, and uh, you know. He's had it done done a great job here and had a lot of success so far. And how has Ben changed from last year to this year? So much is going to be made of that this week, Heath. So can you give us any insight? Uh, well, lots going to be made made about it. But you know, to me, Ben's always been a good teammate. Um, I know that you know being away from the team probably hurt him a lot the first four weeks because he's he's a leader on this team. There's no doubt about it. And uh, for him to be taken away from his guys, I know I know that was very difficult for him. So. Uh, you know, once he came back, we knew that he was ready to uh, to go out and perform and lead us like he felt like, you know, like he wanted to be doing the first four weeks. How long would it take you to grow the Kiesel facial hair? Oh man, how long? I, give me a give me a ballpark. <laughs> do you think months, maybe a year? I don't know how long he's been growing it. I guess it's got it was before the season, but I don't know when the last time he shaved was. But. Is there anything in there? I mean, it looks like there could be there, – there, he could lose a Super Bowl ring in there. <laughs> there, could, careful. there could be. He could hide one in there for sure. <laughs> I know. It's, uh, that's impressive. And, and Ben's going with the – uh, it, it, it doesn't look like you're doing the playoff beard thing. No, you know, I always try, and um, it starts itching too bad. And then I tell myself, well, 
we won two, you know, we've been successful a couple other times. I didn't do the playoff beard, so that's my excuse for not having one. <laughs> that's the superstition in you right there. That's yeah. the way it works. Hey, Heath, listen, uh, I appreciate you giving us a few minutes in such a busy time. Good luck on Sunday, and um, and we appreciate you calling in. Okay, thanks a lot. You bet. That's Heath Miller of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, obviously, it's a big game for every player, uh, but a lot of focus is going to be on Aaron Rodgers this week, and why not? He joins Bart Starr and Brett Favre as the only quarterbacks to ever take the Green Bay Packers to the Super Bowl, and by game's end, he'd love to join them on the list of Super Bowl-winning quarterbacks for uh, the Green Bay Packers. And uh, Aaron was on this podcast way back in Week 3, before the Week 3 game against the Chicago Bears, the first of three eventual games against the Bears, and we chatted a lot about the journey that Aaron has taken to the National Football League, and uh, he had a longer wait than just uh, three years behind Brett Favre and what felt like three years in the green room of the draft room. How he got into the game is a very unique story, and we chatted a lot about that with Aaron Rodgers, and we figured we'd revisit that right now on this Super Bowl podcast that way back 18 weeks ago, way before Aaron uh, knew that uh, he was going to be going to the Super Bowl. Who knew that? Um, we chatted with Aaron. We figured we'd uh, we'd take a listen back right now. Quarterback Aaron Rodgers. How are you, Aaron? Doing good, Rich. Thanks for having me on. I don't think a lot of people know your full story uh, prior to the Cal Bears. That uh, you you were a, you're a Chico, California guy, right? That's sitting there in the Midwest right now. Correct. Right. right? Yeah. And uh, Pleasant Valley High School, which, by the way, I covered a few high school games there for my first job at uh, in Redding, California. I don't know did if you knew that. Yeah, did you know that that I was? That's how. That's I where did I. Not. Yeah, I'm learning things about you. I like that. You and I both got started in the same market in a way. You got started in Chico. I got started in, in Redding. I guess you didn't watch. You didn't watch my sportscast when you were there in in Chico. No, you know we had some great TV, great guys, <laughs> local guys. I was one of them. I was, yeah. I was really one of them, but I guess it didn't jump out of you. But uh, at any rate, I, I've been to Pleasant Valley High School, where you got things started in your in your career, and uh, you were not fully recruited. You were not highly recruited out of that high school, correct? Yeah, I was not. There was really just one Division One school looking at me, and that was San Diego State. And then they had a turnover of their staff. Ted Toner was actually the head coach at the time, mm-hmm. and was replaced. And um, I never, never tripped down. Uh, didn't take a trip there. So basically, you were you were not recruited, and then you had to go to Butte College, a junior college in uh, beautiful Orville, well, I like California. To I got to go. You know, had is more. That's kind of a negative connotation there. I like. You know, I uh, that was the best year of, of football in my life. I right did. I learned. I learned a lot about myself, about leadership. I got my confidence back. Um, you know, I played very well. That's that was an important year. So I, I really look at that as a opportunity, as much as uh, some people go there for reasons other than you know different than, than when I went to. You know, right. we had guys on our team who were bounced back from D ones. We had guys who've been to jail. We had guys who've been in the workforce. Guys been in the military. But I was just. You know, I was just a guy who was looking to uh, to use that as, as a platform to move on, and, and uh, myself and a lot of my teammates did that. So that's that you say out of everything that you've had so far uh, at the Pac-10 level and the NFL level, you say the best year of football was when you were in junior college trying to find yourself. That's what you just. That's what you believe. Without a doubt, and I don't think that'll ever be matched. That that experience that I, that I had there at Butte College. Um, 
being an 18-year-old just out of high school and um, trying to figure out a way to, to be a leader on a team of guys of different backgrounds from different areas of the country and um, the kind of success we had, uh, the way we came together, uh, I don't think that could, that could ever really be matched. Even yeah. even if I won a Super Bowl down the road, it was just a just a team like uh, a year like no other. Now, the team we had at Cal was the closest knit group of guys that ever been around, but uh, there's some about the year at Butte College, which, which is always going to be really special to me. How did Tedford find you up in Butte College in Orville? Uh, well, another uh, you know, another lucky deal there. Uh, they were looking at our tight end actually, um, Garrett Cross, who mm-hmm. was uh, who had played at the rival high school, Chico High School, and was a tight end. Um, had a great year, and they were looking at him and inquired about my status. And I was a qualifier with the clearinghouse at a high school, so. Mm-hmm. I was able to leave after one year. At the time, the rule was you had to complete uh, 24 units. Now it's only 12. But at the time, 24 units in order to transfer. So I had to spend two semesters at Butte and then uh, was able to transfer. It's amazing, isn't it, how just things work out? That uh, mm-hmm. Did you know even Tedford was, was on campus? Did, and, and he just noticed you that on the field and said, I, I need to take a look at this, this skinny well, they, kid they out of Pleasant Valley, they, too? Well, they saw the you know the quarterback that was throwing that tied in all the all the passes. And right. They made an inquiry inquiry about you know what my status was, and thankfully you know I give a lot of credit to my my coach at junior college because you know junior college coaches at just like every other level they want to win and, and um, you know Coach Rigsby at Butte College has had a lot of success there, and one of the things we talked about um, before I even agreed to, you know, play at Duke College because I had the grades to get into different schools and I was thinking about walking on was, you know, hey, if I have one good year, I'd love to be able to move on and, and be a four for three guy mm-hmm. at a Division One school. And he was totally on board. So when Coach Tedford came looking at me, I've heard stories about junior college coaches, you know, denying the requests um, of coaches who are inquiring about, you know, freshmen who are cleared with the clearinghouse and able to leave after one year and, and I mean, Coach Rigsby at Duke College was, was all on board for me, you know, furthering my career uh, at the next level, and I'm, I'm you know, forever grateful for that. And then, and then you wind up a 19-year-old starting quarterback in the Pac-10, right? You got your first start when you were 19 years old? Yeah. Man. Mm-hmm. Do you ever sit back in your, in your time now at Green Bay and, and think, about, think about how the journey started for you, Aaron? Because it seems like you have, you've been really handed nothing. So many of these guys who, who reach the level that you're currently at in the NFL, uh, I'm not saying that they were handed opportunities or, or, or uh, skating through. Obviously, you have to perform and you have to execute. But, you know, first overall picks and, and, and usually uh, have a, a more of a, I guess, uh, of a fanfare start than you had in your, in your football career. Well, no, no, no doubt about it. And the journey for me is that much more sweeter. I think... You know, there's, there's some, uh, you know, talents and abilities that are God-given, and then there's there's some traits uh, that a quarterback needs to have that are acquired. And I think, uh, you know, mental toughness is one that uh, that requires going through some adversity. And I definitely went through adversity, um, you know, with having a dream uh, that I felt like was close to within my grasp when I was coming out of high school and really having to go back and, and be honest and with myself and where I was at and, and work hard and just wait for another opportunity and then just try and make the most of that. So, you know, people, you know, have gotten to their situations in different ways, but, but my, my journey, you know, 
because it happened the way it happened, I think has made me the kind of person and player that I am. And, and as difficult as it was at times and, and disappointing and um, the sacrifice you make and, and not always seeing the kind of results you're hoping for, it, it's all really been worth it. And, 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 and I, I turned out the way I did because of the things that I've gone through. And when you hear people mention that you're one of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL, that you are one of uh... – one of the first, I guess, fantasy quarterbacks taken. All fans believe in you as well, obviously. What do you think when you hear that, Aaron? Well, it's really crazy um, to me because, you know, when I was a kid, all I wanted to be was uh, Joe Montana and, and win Super Bowls. And, you know, then you, you start growing up a little bit and you realize that, you know, you know the the way to the NFL is, is difficult and, and is tough and, and nothing's given to you. Um, and then to, you know, to get to junior college and, and find my way there in Cal and, and NFL, get passed over and, and wait for my opportunity and playing behind a legend. And it's just crazy uh, to realize, you know, that I am uh, really living out a childhood dream and, and just trying to keep that perspective daily that, you know, I am blessed with the opportunity to play the game that I love and and that this, this career is, is a fleeting one and, just in, just stay in the moment and enjoy the opportunity I have and and the great situation I'm in. But it is, you know, I don't take myself too seriously. So right. when I hear some of these, you know, the comparisons and stuff, it, it's still wild to me that people even want my autograph um, because I just, uh, you know, I'm just really just living out a childhood dream. So it's fun for me. Yeah, and and um, the way that you, everybody always wants to be the guy who comes after the guy who was after the guy. Does that make sense to you? You know, like if you're oh, yeah. if you're coming in after the guy, you don't want to be the guy after the guy. You want to be the guy who came after the guy who was after the guy. And you have, I mean, obviously Favre is 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 who he is up there. But it it I'm not saying you've made Packer fans forget him, but you definitely have turned. I mean, that page is turned. That page is completely turned. Is 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 this who 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 did you seek for assistance? at all during that process when you were when you were in in the shoes that you were in with Favre maybe coming back or coming back or not who did you speak to throughout that process Aaron I, I think the one thing I've learned in, in the last six years of being in the NFL is that it's really important who you surround yourself with mm -hmm. and during that time um, I, I lean heavily on my family my close friends um, guys who've been mentors to me coming out of college Trent Dilfer was a guy I spoke to he's a Tedford guy he's a Tedford guy yeah Right. One guy I really want to seek out and, and did get to talk to was Steve Young because Steve, you know, had a very similar situation mm -hmm. to mine. Um, you know, taking over for Joe and, and Joe was actually on the team when he was playing, so it was even, you know, at times a little stickier than the situation I was in. But you know, he was a great ally and still is um, as far as just being a great resource. And I think, you know, if I've learned anything from from guys like him and Trent. And some of these quarterbacks I've talked to, Chris Chandler, who've, um, you know, who I'm friends with, mm -hmm. is that, you know, it's important and much appreciated, you know, the situation I'm in. It's important to really pass on uh, information and knowledge to the next generation of quarterbacks. And, and I can't tell you how much it meant to me to be able to talk to guys like Chris and Trent and Steve. And now being in my position, um, you know, I, I thought it was really important to talk to a guy like Kevin Cobb. Right. Taking over situations similar to mine and, um, you know, just, I think this thing is important to, to mentor, to be a mentor to the next group of, uh, of quarterbacks and players because um, this is a this is a players league and this is, um, you know, it's about 
it's about furthering the league and, and leaving it hopefully in a better place than you, than you found it and realizing you're, that you're not bigger than the game. The game is, you know, that's what I'm trying to remember. The game was around long before I got here, mm-hmm. and it's going to keep on going long after I'm gone. So while I'm in it, just trying to make the most of it and, and try and leave it better than I found it. Let's talk Packers football right now with the Aaron Rodgers. Let's talk some Packers football. A lot of people talk about Drew Brees' relationship with his head coach, Sean Payton, and how it's a perfect symbiotic relationship that one guy sort of already knows what the other guy's thinking and vice versa. How would you describe your relationship with your head coach, Mike McCarthy, with this offense that seems to be on tilt more often than not? You know, we got a real good relationship. I think it's it's gotten better every year. Um, you know, it's, it's built on trust and you know, the more good things I can do uh, on the field at the line of scrimmage when he gives me latitude in the offense, you know, the more trust he has in me. And, and uh, you know, I think we've uh, we've proven over the last two and a, and a little bit years that, you know, we can really uh, have a good product on the field and, and make some plays when he, uh, when he trusts me with making decisions. Mm-hmm. And when I... Uh, you know, when I do the things that, that I've been coached to do. Uh, defensively, it's interesting that the beast on defense that's helping you get back on the field is from USC, don't you think, Aaron? Somewhat uh, somewhat ironic. Clay Matthews, big Trojan. You're Cal Bear. Now you're, you're united as one. We're very united, yes. <laughs> Except for Saturdays when we're talking about who's playing. Right. But, uh, he's, a, a beast. he's a beast. Where, do, where did this come from with Clay Matthews? Aaron? Well, he gets to sit out training camp every year, so his legs are always real fresh during the season. <laughs> he takes the far route, is what you're saying, in other words. Uh, I didn't say that, no. No, okay. Well, but it's, it, it, he just, he, it seems that his motor is unique. What's your perspective? I mean, you, you see a lot of film. You, you see a lot of defenses, not just live, but on film. Where do you think Clay Matthews ranks right now uh, just... 18 games into his NFL career? I think he's got to be in the top five in his position. Um, I think the guy we're playing this week, mm-hmm. Julius Peppers. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't, I'm going to miss some people, but um, you just look at our division with Peppers, Jared Allen, yeah. Vanden Bosch, um, Demarcus Ware. There's a lot of very talented guys, but you, you have to put him in the top five, I think. He's just, he has all the moves. We're, we're, you know, Matt Flynn and I were standing on the sideline a couple of days ago, and, and one play, Clay just totally bull rushed and, and knocked the tackle on his butt. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got that move. He's got the the quick, you know, duck under move uh, around the outside with speed. He's got the spin move. He's got the back inside. Um, you know, and when I say spin move, Dwight Freeney comes to mind. He's got to be mm-hmm. mentioned in the top five. But Clay, he's he's right in the mix with all those guys. He's he's so talented. He's, he's he's smart. I think he had a he had a really nice play in the game. They ran like a naked fake where they they left him unblocked and, and were faking the handoff and rolling out. And he read it great and made it made a sack made it look easy. But that's a play that you know a second year guy with you know 18 games under his belt. That's that's impressive to see him make those kind of plays. And how far do you think this team can go, Aaron? Are you guys already talking Super Bowl like Rex Ryan just throws it out on the table? For, for his team to just talk about what 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 about your Green Bay Packers in 2010? Well, any talk like that is really for us is just preseason stuff that you know we've had two great preseasons the last couple of years and that's just stuff that 
I think the media, our media, local media, gets off on and, uh-uh. and enjoys writing about. But once the season starts, we're focused on the week-to-week thing. I think if last year taught us anything going down to Arizona is that, you know, we need to we need to win our division and get a home field playoff game because uh-huh. that makes the route to the Super Bowl um, that much easier. Because it's tough to play in Green Bay in the wintertime. Uh, nobody, you know, I don't, I can't think of any team that would want to come up and and play in uh, in the kind of weather and, and conditions we're going to have up here in January. And that's an important advantage that we need to utilize by winning our division and and securing at least one you know playoff game in Lambeau. And you know, once you get to the playoffs, anything can happen. We've seen it. You know, sixth team in the in the division or the conference go all the way to Super Bowl every year. Um, but you know, we want to be one of those top four seeds and get a home playoff game and and take care of business, and then anything can happen after that. That was Aaron Rodgers again back uh, before Week Three, and uh, you could hear why so many people are fans of his and why so many people are rooting for him. The journey that he has taken and how he still holds it within him, and he'll be taking that on the field uh, this Sunday in North Texas, in uh, in Dallas, Cowboys Stadium. It's going to be uh, it's going to be neat to see, and uh, good things happening to good people. Let's now talk with the man who's going to be calling the play-by-play of Super Bowl 45 on Fox. It is his third Super Bowl for Fox. He returns to the Rich Eisen podcast after making Hervardi cheese a trending topic. That would be Joe Buck. How are you, Joseph? I'm glad you reminded me. I, I've had on my calendar this mark on Sunday, and I didn't know what it was for, and now I remember. <laughs> I thought it, was, it wasn't for the Skins game or whatever else might be counter-programmed or something like that? No, it, it could have it been. I mean, that's something that I would definitely sit and watch, but uh, now that you tell me, I'm, I forgot I've got to bone up there on the go. names and numbers of the Steelers. Yeah, I think you do. And the Packers. I don't know if you know they made it, too. I don't know if you what? saw that. Yeah. I mean, you were there. No, there's no way. A number six seed has never made it in the NFC. There's no way. That's true. Until until you called it. You, the one who called it on Fox. Oh, know? God. Do you remember right. that? You remember that? Cutler was standing on the sidelines? Remember that one? Yeah. I do remember that now. Now that you bring that up, I do. Did... Uh... What was the fallout from that game? I'm sure, sure everybody was sympathetic toward Jay Cutler. Yeah, there was no fallout. There was no fallout. Yeah. What did you? What were you thinking? Because I mean, everybody was jumping on on Cutler on Twitter, and and I got to be honest with you, my first blush thing was why is he standing on a knee injury with no ice? Why is he just standing there if he supposedly can't play in the game? And yet you could, you, you could influence what most people are thinking, like oh, 50 million people watching just by. Uh, any word, you and Troy, what were you guys thinking at the time when you were calling that game? You know, it didn't it didn't dawn on us, and I'm glad looking back on it, um, if we're allowed to be serious. I'm yeah, glad looking back on it uh, that we didn't. I mean, I, you know, you can leave that for the second-guessers, and you can leave that for people the next day. I think when you're involved in it, you know, when you're doing the game, you look down, and their sideline was right below our booth. You see him there, you get the word that, that he's got a bad knee, and you move on. I mean, my, my focus then went to Todd Collins, and my focus went to Caleb Haney, mm. and uh, B.J. Raji, and touchdowns, and, you know, wondering what the strategy the rest of the game is to, to even insinuate. I think that somebody is not hurt when they say they are, I think, is really going down a, a dangerous path. And certainly we find out that he had a knee injury that then people are saying, you know, well, could have played on it or not, but you're you're obviously calling a game. And Caleb Haney, I know again this is this is yesterday's news, but 
That was a big story as it was unfolding. He he darn near came back and tied that game against the Boy, well, he definitely gave him life. Um, then we find out that Todd Collins was hurt. I, I think that so many people, and I've been broadcasting since I was three, I think so many people <laughs> get in trouble when you start speculating from the booth. And one of the things my dad first told me was don't try and diagnose an injury from the broadcast booth. And so you see a guy limp off, you see him grabbing his knee, and you find out that he's got a broken collarbone. Or, you know, you start talking about different scenarios, and this could mean this, that could mean that. I, I think you have to take a guy at his word, and I think that anybody would be hard-pressed to believe that any of Jay Cutler's teammates would agree that he is not tough when you consider the number of times that he has just been pasted behind that offensive line, he gets up, he doesn't point fingers. You can say you don't like the smirk, the attitude, whatever, if people are bothered by that. But uh, the toughness thing, I don't know that that's ever been questioned, and uh, I'm certainly not going to start that from my end. I I believe he was hurt. The x-rays and the MRI showed he was hurt. And uh, so you move on, and the next guy's in. And uh, now the Green Bay Packers have moved forward, and you be calling Super Bowl Forty Five again uh, later this week on Fox against the Pittsburgh Steelers. How do you see this game, Joseph? I can't wait. Um, you know, I can't wait because I think it's exciting to think of the Green Bay offense on a synthetic field uh, inside taking on a team like Pittsburgh, that can do what they do defensively. You know, they can completely shut down a run game, which they did all year. They can shut down a scoreboard. Uh, Green Bay has shown that they can run the ball better in the postseason. They've shown, and Atlanta can attest to the fact that they can light up a scoreboard. You've got two defensive coordinators that that were the the godfathers of the zone blitz. Right. Um, And I, I think it all comes together to say going in, and, you know, who knows how it'll turn out, this matchup is as intriguing as it could be, and and I, I you know, as we sit here now, I, I think it's a toss-up, and uh, that those are the games you go in and you can't wait to watch unfold. I, I don't know this off the top of my head, and normally I I only ask questions I know the answer to. Uh, did you call the Green Bay at Pittsburgh game for Fox last year? We did, yeah. Troy and I did that game. What a which game was, that uh, was! Holy my God, smokes. that was incredible. Well, I, I don't think. You don't think we're going to see anything close to that, right? I mean, because that was ridiculous. They were 900 passing yards. Ben Ben had 500 passing yards in that game. Yeah, and the game ended on, you know, last play touchdown to Mike Wallace. I don't think we'll see that type game. Mm -hmm. Uh, If we do, then (laughs) we'll have to buckle up and uh, and hope to hold on. But I think, uh, you know, these defenses are playing better than that right now. Although last year, Green Bay was the number two defense, and that's why what happened in the playoffs against Arizona Arizona, was so surprising. Mm -hmm. But uh, I don't don't expect that kind of lighted-up scoreboard type thing. I think it'll be a lot uh, a lot tighter and a lot smaller uh, as far as total points. So you've called you've called every every playoff game that uh, Aaron Rodgers has played. Then Pretty I much. have, and uh, we've called the last five Packers games. So <laughs> have you really? Point, yeah, it's <laughs> to the point now where it's just we have these meetings and we just all sit around, you know, and I'm talking about meetings with Rodgers and McCarthy and right. we sit around and look at each other. I mean, there's really... <laughs> yeah. How's the know, family, right? It's just how yeah, the kids. There's, there's certain things that these guys are going to tell you and there's certain things they're not. And right. I think once you get to the limit, <laughs> I, I think and we're, we're beyond the limit with Green Bay, although I will tell you, they are very open mm-hmm. in a good way and very secure about telling you what they plan on doing. Aaron Rodgers is one of the most 
one of the most confident quarterbacks I've ever been around. Um, so I, I'm anxious to see when we sit down with them later in the week what the game plan is, and they're usually very good about that, and then we'll see if, if they're able to stick to it and if the game goes the way they think it will as we sit here midweek. So maybe Tomlin's going to pick your brain when he sits down with you. When you sit well, down yeah, I, I mean, not mine, maybe Troy's. I don't, I don't know that. Oh, you've got a, you got, that I'm alive. Oh, you've got a beautiful mind, Joe Buck. When it comes to football, well, you know the pieces. Yeah. The pieces just move off the blackboard. You know what I mean? It's just don't, exactly. don't sell yourself keep, short. Joe. I keep writing letters and putting them in a mailbox that nobody answers. <laughs> yes, and, uh, yes. being in an insane asylum and getting a lobotomy. That's what that. Hey, that happens to a lot of us. That happens to a lot of us. But but the fact you might be like a good luck charm. I mean, they haven't lost in the last five games, the Green Bay Packers. No, we showed up. Our first game was the Giants game, right. and then we had right. Chicago, and then we went right through the playoffs with them. So, yeah, I've, I've been interested in what they're doing, and I think going into the season, it's easy to forget now, but they were, you know, Aaron Rodgers was on the cover of uh, fantasy football magazines, and this was a team that was supposed to get to this point, right. except you looked at how the season started, 15 guys on IR, you know, they have, uh, at one point, they're 8-6, and six. they lose to Detroit, you know, so you think their season is lost, and then they go on this great run, and they seem to get better, and even offensively, when they're not, they can beat you defensively, as they did to Chicago in the championship game. Do you think, uh, how much you, you guys in the booth are going to talk at any point about Roethlisberger's journey this year, do you think? Well, I think you have to, you have to touch on it and you have to acknowledge the fact that he started the year suspended and say why and you know it's to their credit that they went three and one during that time that's why they were a number two seed and had the home games that they had so it's part of their story for 2010 2011 i think when you're doing a game like that to go on and on and on about it i think is a huge mistake and at some point people uh, tune out. So I, I, I don't think you go down that path too far, but you have to you have to talk about it. But you and I both know that by the time the Super Bowl rolls in, oh, whether yeah. it's the Fox pregame or you guys or what ESPN does, you know, all day every day, all that stuff will have been dissected. And that's kind of the fun of doing these big games in the NFL. Now you can just do the game and react to what you're seeing. I don't think calling this a big game is is you know you're that's an understatement. I mean. Uh, I'm sure you guys are already talking about the number this game's going to do because of, of of what you. I mean, if you just did a 50 million for a championship game, that in, yeah, in, in the afternoon, window. you know, in the afternoon, it's, I, it's it's unbelievable what's going on in this league ratings wise, and it's uh, it's really staggering to think of. And I think the one mistake you can make, and this is the third one I've been lucky enough to do is get wrapped up in all that. I mean, I, if if 100 million people are watching, mm-hmm. or 110, or 80, or 50, or if it's different than uh, an eight, a Week 8 game, then I, I think you're doing something wrong during the regular season. I mean, I, I should be preparing like there are 110 million people watching every week, and I feel like I do. And so when we get into a game like this, you have to kind of shut all that other stuff out, turn your TV off, not read every clip that you can get your hands on, and at some point just go to a football game. So just uh, so you're not going to do things any different because of the the audience coming in, like uh, tell me that the yellow line is unofficial, right? You're not going to do that for Yeah, me, you know, you? executives every once in a while, and we get it in baseball, we get it in football, and I think for good reason. I mean, you're, mm-hmm. you're bringing new people into the tent in a game like this. If sure. we did $50 million, we'll do $100 million, or in that neighborhood for the Super Bowl, 
if that's the case, then you've got a lot of people there that are maybe watching just for the commercials or maybe watching because they got dragged to a party. So I think you have to state some of the basics, but you know, I, this game is so popular and it's so all over television that, you know, saying the line is unofficial or the timeouts are up in the left-hand corner of your screen or whatever, I, I think you can maybe say it, but I don't know that you have to, you know, do football 101 on TV for, for anybody. Do you guys have any new bells and whistles you can give us a heads up on? You're going to bust out Not for this Not that game? I know of. Um, you know, one thing we had early in the season, and I don't know if we're going to be able to get back to it, mm-hmm. was if you listen to the audio from our week one game, it was Packers, there they are again, at <laughs> Philadelphia, and the centers were wearing microphones. Right. What what has happened in the NFL is the movement of the umpire from behind the defensive line and the linebacker area, and the umpire wore a microphone for us to behind the offensive formation across from the referee, has taken some of that real good line of scrimmage, natural sound, quarterback yelling out signals, grunting, groaning, hitting that we have had on Fox, and then... Uh, and then you really play that up. And what we had week one was even better because centers were wearing it. Then some of the league, the, some of the teams in the league started complaining about it, like we were giving away secrets. If if that's the case, then maybe we won't get it. If we do, then I think it takes the viewer, you know, literally right over the ball at yeah. the snap. And and that's a it's a great thing to be able to give people. I mean, that's why the show we do here is called Total Access. People can't get enough of it. I mean, absolutely cannot get enough of it. And, and, you know, you guys have the advantage, I, I think, at NFL Network, and, and rightly so. You're you're with the league, and you get a lot of things that, you know, I tune in for. I want to hear that sound that's going on on the sideline. Mm-hmm. As great as my job is, you know, actually being taken down there during the course of the game, that, that stuff is mesmerizing to me. And so, you know, I hope we get that. If we don't, we don't. But uh, it's certainly something worthwhile. Now, you guys have uh, somebody who people used to tune in to see here on NFL Network, Pereira, the former head of NFL refs, the, the VP, the top zebra in all the lands. Uh, is gonna is is he gonna be standing right next to you in the booth in case of something uh, for the game? Or yeah, I, and I got to tell you, Rich, it is without a doubt it's awesome. the best Fantastic. security blanket yes. you can ever have. Right, yeah. and, and it's like cheating because you know you, you're not going to go off the air without an official diagnosis oh, yeah. of what went on rules wise, and it's something that Troy and I study and worry about every week because the rules can get convoluted, and when I've got him literally three feet to my left mm-hmm. it's it's a really good feeling to know that even if we blow it yeah. by the time the play's been reviewed and we're going off the air it's been covered and that's all you really can care he's about. the best he's the best I-, I loved doing the official review segment with him for seven years it, and although here you tell him this seven years i was barking at him about the tuck rule and how horrible it is, and it has to leave the game. Now he leaves the NFL, and he's writing on FoxSports.com to get rid of the tuck rule. I'm going to take. I did not know that. Yes, yes, he did. Well, plus he's like the Dean Martin of uh, <laughs> of officials. I mean, he's kind of he'll get. The, he's he's got the designer glasses. Yeah, he's got that very, look, very and you're just swamp. waiting for him to 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 jump into <laughs> Strangers in the Night or something. He would actually. He loves Sinatra. We always we always used to play Sinatra for him whenever he was waiting for yeah, us. Yeah, or maybe ain't that a kick in the head? If I want to say with the Dean Martin, <laughs> yes, he's the Rat Pack of officials. So. Uh, will you think of your dad on Sunday at any point, Joe? Not to get too sappy here, but I mean, you, um, 
you're doing something that your dad never did, which was be the lead uh, announcer for a, a network's World Series and Super Bowl coverage in the same year. Only Al Michaels and Kurt Gowdy have done that. Uh, will you be thinking of your dad at all? I always think of him. I think of him when I am around the truck. I think of him walking into the stadium and the way he treated people. And, uh, you know, I, I think of, of doing a game that would make me excited afterward to call him and ask him about it. I mean, that's how my career started in 96, doing baseball and doing a Yankees World Series against the Braves and calling him after. And, you know, he was he didn't tell me, and my mom had to tell me after the fact, but he was in tears and couldn't really talk to me about it because hmm. he was proud. And hmm. and I think of him in, in all these events, and it's, you know, he's been gone for eight years, and I miss nothing more in life than being able to get off the air and pick up a phone and call him and, and talk to him about it. Well, Joe, you're 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 the best at it, man. I've told you that to your face. I'm telling you that now on on the podcast here. And um, have a great cast. I, I, I my only problem is that I probably won't be able to listen to it too much because I'm actually in the stadium. Which well, the know. next time I see, I'll have DVDs and Would signed you copies, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be sure to save one for you because I know they're going to go fast. Yeah, they. If you can get um, uh, Favre to sign it for me too at some point that would be great just just because you, you know it would, absolutely it would raise the yeah. value of it you know what i'm saying okay all right yeah and uh and i i would appreciate it if you can get uh mr joe theisman to sign <laughs> sign one and send it back you mean mr danny woodcock himself how about that? I've never seen fallout and laughter like that over over. I, I was was there laughing gas in the studio when that was going on? Well, you know what? Uh, it was at the end of a very long week for everybody. Lots of people were traveled out. Mayock had just called the Seattle um, uh, Saints game, and Dion and Mooch. You know, we're 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 all burning candles at both ends. Uh, but here's the backstory: uh, is apparently uh, the the take before had to be busted because. Uh, Theismann called him uh, Danny Moorhead, and wow. then came Woodcock. Wow. And that's what happened. I'm going to have to call Joe and see <laughs> what's going on there. <laughs> but he knows. He knows that's going to stick to him for, for a very, very long time. You know, I, know. Least, I, I love that. And I actually got a text right before too. the last game. Hey, watch and have a great game. So he's I, the greatest. I, he is. The, you know, he is. I mean, I, I just absolutely, I, I adore the guy. He's, he's fun to be around. Um, he's pure. And if you ask, but you know, Rich, if you ask him how to how he played in a, a round of golf, he'll take you not only through every shot of the nine holes, but what kind of grass and who designed the course. Uh, he likes to talk. You know, he does. A lot of That's us do. That's why we're in this business too, Joe. That's what we're all right. Hey, listen, That's thanks right. for calling in. Have a great cast, and I'll, I'll see you throughout the week. All right. Thanks, Richie. You go back. See you. All right, that's Joe Buck, who's calling the game on Fox on Sunday. Let's get the thoughts on this big Super Bowl forty-five matchup from one of the greatest athletes this country has ever produced, seven-time Grand Slam title winner in singles. Uh, I had the fortune of working with this man and being able to call him a colleague for three summers at uh, – the U.S. Open a few years ago on CBS. He's on CBS, NBC, and a big-time uh, New York sports fan. John McEnroe joining the Rich Eisen Podcast presented by Papa John's. Thanks for calling in, John. I appreciate it. Hey, no problem. You got demoted to football, huh? I did. Demoted to <laughs> football, yes. <laughs> hey, well, what, you know, I had to just get that in. I mean, tennis is struggling a bit, and football's piece appears to be more popular than ever so well, we got to we got to call up Goodell or somebody and figure out what to do in our sport well maybe hitting 
you know, maybe actually contact. You know, that might work, don't you think? A lot of players would like that, especially some of the players I've played against. <laughs> well, Nadal. <laughs> I think Nadal would excel if, if, they, if, if contact was involved at this point. Uh, you know, there's times where uh, because of this replay system in tennis, it's yes. actually not a bad thing because we certainly need to let it out a little bit. I think that's part of what we don't see in tennis is uh, enough emotion. So perhaps uh, we could take a lesson or two from the football players because they definitely aren't saying, hello, how are you on the field? <laughs> no, they're definitely not. So are you a Jet or a Giant, John? You know, I'm a Jet fan. I grew up, I, I respect and I grew to like the Giants, especially when LT started playing Lawrence Taylor. He he made me a believer, the greatest defensive player I ever saw mm-hmm. in my life. And um, But, you know, I grew up in Queens, about 15 minutes from Shea Stadium. So uh, my three idols were Mickey Mantle, the baseball player, Rod Laver, great tennis player, and Joe Namath. So... I thought this was going to happen all the time. I'm 10 years old, win the Super Bowl. So it, it, I'm still hurting from the other day. I'm sure you are. Uh, what it, I mean, did you believe this year? Because last year when they made the AFC Championship game against the Colts, I mean, you know, they were 9-7. and seven. It was the first year with a, a new head coach. Sanchez was a rookie. This year, a little different, different feel. The Jets, the Jets had it right there, John. I did. I, I, I sort of joined the, the group of believers that thought that it was destiny, especially when uh, we beat New England. I mean, some people could write off Indianapolis or at least the Jet detractors because there had been a lot of injuries on Indianapolis's team. But still, that was a, a great win to beat Peyton Manning. And then, but, but to go into New England, um, I actually was at the game where they beat New England at, at uh, the new Meadowlands Stadium. What is it called? Meadowlands. Yeah, it's the new. It's the new Meadowlands. And back in week two, you're to- referring to, I guess. I, I'm still trying to figure out why both the Jets and the Giants play in New Jersey, but that's a that's another story. But nonetheless, they actually beat the, the Patriots week two. So, uh, um, in, in the beauty of sports is you got to go out and prove yourself each time. And um, uh, despite the fact that they we would call that like a six-love, six-love match in tennis when they lost 45-3. But uh, the next day can be a completely different story. So uh, I did think it was possible, uh, not likely, because uh, Brady's one of the greatest players I've ever seen. But uh, when they beat the Patriots, I actually believed it was going to happen. And then they had the horrific start playing the Steelers. And um, I was at one other game uh, many, many years ago, the Bears playing the Giants in the 85 uh, playoffs, the year that the Bears won it. Well, that was the, it that was the game where team below zero. Yeah, Landetta whiffed on the second half. Landetta whiffed on the punt in that game, right? Isn't that the one? I where... was not far away, exactly, uh, not far away from the whiff. And uh, but I do remember vividly thinking to myself, "Thank God I'm a tennis player." <laughs> Why is that? Because well, the conditions were so brutal, so cold. And I thought that uh, the Jets showed a lot of heart. Both teams you know, show a lot of heart and character and, and football players in general to be able to play as well as they do under, the, under extreme conditions. Uh, right after I saw you, Rich, uh, perform some magical karaoke <laughs> on New Year's, yes. I flew to Hong Kong where it was about 50 degrees, 45, 50. And I remember whining, like thinking, why do I have to play in conditions like this? It's mm. too cold. Right. And then when I watched the Steelers play the Jets, I thought, you know, you you, you still have a big mouth sometimes. <laughs> Do you? Uh, I, I, this may be a silly question. I imagine you uh, you connect with Rex Ryan's style of coaching and also of uh, speaking <laughs> to the media. 
Well, why do you say that? I, no, um... <laughs> I mean, he puts it on his sleeve and he tells it like it is, you know, and I'm wondering uh, what your thoughts are on that subject. Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, that's uh, that would be a case of, uh, you know, the pot calling the kettle black if I said that I didn't uh, endorse something like that. But I, I think he's uh, someone who definitely says it like he feels it, and people ultimately will appreciate that. Uh, there are times you probably live and learn where you may be able, even I learned this, that you back off a little bit and you don't want to be a target. And that, that it, there were a couple of occasions where it seemed like it was getting a little crazy and overboard. But for the most part, um, uh, what I hear, because I'm not in the locker room, but it seems like his players love him. And uh, if you look at his two years as a head coach, uh, whatever he's preaching is working because they've been a game away uh, both both years that he's been the head coach. So uh, you you know you got to back it up if you go out there and talk with that bluster, you back it up. But I think he has done that. Yeah, so. yeah, and that that's the issue though in New York City. It's sort of like playing with fire in a way because it it you even heard uh, uh, I heard Mike Francesa this week uh, on WFAN because I you know being a New Yorker out here in California, I try to listen to it. He even said at what point if Rex Ryan keeps saying we're going to win the Super Bowl, at what point does it ring hollow and uh, if he keeps winning, it works. If not, though, in New York City, that style is is really uh, on the razor's edge, don't you think? Yeah. Let Let's see. What? Well, how long is this contract? Because uh, <laughs> right. it won't it won't be long because there are even moments this year where there people were starting to get on him. Um, so uh, that's part of what you have to deal with in New York. It makes it that much sweeter. But uh, perhaps we could all learn a lesson, uh, including Rex. Um, but as as well as the media and some of the people that follow the sports in general, but particularly football, that uh, the the level of expectation and pressure, and then the way they turn so quickly. Because you know, I'm a fan of sort of turning on the sports radio the next day and hearing what people have to say, and it's amazing. Uh, the bigger you are, the harder you fall uh, is an old cliche, which is true. But also, uh, they turn on a dime on you. So uh, I think that uh, I learned just from playing as well as commentating, sort of be able to look look from the back seat a little bit, that uh, that can be problematic. So he's going to have to sort of just, I think, make a subtle adjustment to pull back a little bit. I mean, they were a minute or two away, I think, from winning that game, and nothing was said the week before the Steelers. And uh, they showed a lot of heart, you know, coming back in the second half when they had played so poorly in the beginning. So... I think he'd be better off pulling back a little bit. When you're talking about fans reacting a day after, I mean, fans in Chicago were burning Jay Cutler's jersey the night of the game in which he could not finish. And um, I'm wondering what your thoughts were, not on just the fan reaction, but also the reaction of some of his colleagues, some of his playing colleagues who were tearing him apart without knowing how significant the knee injury was. Fellow athlete Uh, on fellow athlete. uh, yeah, generally, Rich, I thought it was really weak, uh, the response of people. Um, the only thing that I would, and he, he certainly isn't asking my opinion, but if I was you know, talking to Jay Cutler as a friend, um, one of the things I can just speak from my own personal experience, there were times on the court where there was a lot of angst, which could be interpretive in a, in a negative light, uh, an anger or sort of whatever way I was dealing with my fear of failure, or whatever way I was dealing with some of the issues that were on court, having to compete against someone. And sometimes it comes out in ways that you prefer when you look back at not to combat. And I think the one, if I could say, constructive point of criticism would be that his body language to Mm. me 
seemed, and I don't know, maybe some other times when they weren't having the camera on him, was he was trying to be helpful to this third-string guy or more positive to his teammates, but he looked sort of at times almost disinterested or not wanting to be there and not part of the team. And I think that's the part that sort of irked some people, and, and I think that uh, he'd be better off. And I know he was in a sort of a tough spot because I'm sure he wanted to be out there and he was probably bumming because he was hurt. But uh, he looked like he was no longer part of the team in the second half. Right, and it just and I think you're touching on it too, John, is that his whole career he hasn't really cared what people think of him and and his body language and uh, and the perception is that he doesn't really care that much. I, I think people can't really question his heart. I mean, the guy's got diabetes and he got beat up all season long. The question is, is does he care? Does he care enough? I think enough? that a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people actually, funnily enough, the people that appear that they don't and are indifferent are the ones that actually care the most. But that's, for whatever reason, their way, their, their language... Uh, with their body has turned into something where it ex- actually exacerbates the problem instead of um, it, while, while they're doing something that maybe they think is helping him through. They're like, he's, well, I was just there and I didn't want to be a, to get in people's way because they had pulled me out of the game. I and mean, he may have a totally different interpretation of what happened. But um, if, if there was one thing that I had wished I had done better was at times on the court made people think and my, even my, make myself uh, – uh, let people know that I actually, this is actually incredible that I'm out there even have this opportunity at a U.S. Open or Wimbledon to be part of something that I perhaps as, as a young kid only dreamed about and, and may not have expected to really happen and that you should appreciate the moment more, I guess is how I put it. It's hard, obviously, you looked at uh, Nadal the other day when he was hurt. Mm-hmm. He looked pretty miserable out there, even though he holds three of the four grand slams and is the number one ranked player in the world. And this guy is considered to be as mentally the, one of the toughest, if not the toughest guys that ever played our sport. And he looked like he didn't want to be there. You know, so, I mean, I think some perspective should be uh, uh, people should think twice before they just completely dog this guy because, uh, uh, you know, he's still relatively young. I mean, he's still got some time compared to some of the other quarterbacks to turn this around. No question about it. And both quarterbacks playing in this game, Super Bowl Forty Five, have nothing but upside. And, and Roethlisberger's already got two rings, and, and Rodgers has uh, truly seemingly turned the page on the Favre era, which I didn't think anybody could do, let alone uh, somebody three years into it. Uh, how do you see this game, Super Bowl Forty Five, playing out, John? Well, I, I'm pulling for Green Bay simply because of this, the way Rodgers has handled this so so incredibly well. Because, I mean, I was uh, a couple years ago, I, Brett Favre was my favorite player in the NFL. Mm-hmm. The guy was absolutely unbelievable. And it's sort of from an outsider looking in and certainly a big fan and someone who loves football. It was sort of sad to sort of see what ended up transpiring the last couple of years. You know, it, and although, you know, one of the years he went to the Jets, you know, so it was like, yes. oh, my God, yes, how right. did this happen? Right. And then it was sort of this incredible start. And then all of a sudden, uh, injury probably had something to do with where he became very ineffective but continued to play. And he was strongly criticized. And yet they had this amazing year the next year. And then you go, okay, let it go. You know, this guy, what a streak he had, this incredible streak. And then he didn't let it go. So it, it makes me realize, because I was in the thick of things myself, where you, sometimes you look back and say, why didn't you make that decision? But it's a lot tougher to make the right one at the time. Mm-hmm. And the way Rodgers has handled things uh, throughout this, uh, 
last couple of years, and, and, and I didn't realize this guy was this good. You, know, you hear people talk about it, but this guy's really stepped up, and you can see why the management, and it's, it's quite So uh, the Steelers have this incredible tradition of winning. It's, it's absolutely amazing uh, that they've been able to just to do it the, the way that people, football purists, want you to do it. And Green Bay, I mean, I just was watching the Vince Lombardi documentary mm-hmm. and that's great. Watching into what what he did to that organization, and they've tried to sort of live up to that ever since. And uh, now they have this opportunity. It's a great story, you know, when you have a place that's so small that just lives and breathes it. And then you think about how in the hell can't the Jets get back to the Super Bowl? <laughs> <laughs> thing and that's Eli right. was in that. So uh, when I had a talk show, how albeit brief, with that. So. You end up um, just appreciating guys. It's quite a shock when they took the hood off, and there you were on the Oreo commercial, John, this past <laughs> week. That was quite well, a shock. I know. It was, uh, that, I think everyone was secretly pulling for Bill Belichick to be that person. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if Bill's going to be in the Oreo. I don't think Bill's going to be in the Oreo licking commercial anytime soon. I don't think so. Something tells me he's going to he's too busy trying to you know figure out a way to get that team better. No, I think so. I think so. So uh, where are you watching the game? Where's the John McEnroe Super I'm going to be party? watching the game from the New York area. You know, I actually was definitely I would started to call my travel agent uh, with about a minute oh, left uh, in that Pittsburgh game. Two minutes, I'll tell you. I was thinking, okay, here I come. Got some people I know in Dallas, and I uh, could have a couple fun days, but uh, I can't can't bear to go now. So I'll be in the Big Apple. So you'll be in the Big Apple with friends. You're going to be you just uh, you watch with your family. I'm just trying to because I, I remains know- to be you know I've I've gone through every every possible scenario. Watch with friends. Watch with family. People, family members eventually leave the area when mm-hmm. I when I watch. Um, you know I've got. Four girls, two boys. The boys have grown up in their 20s. Um, one of my my stepdaughter's 25. So, you know, one of the things I needed to do was is my little girls like offer them an Oreo and a glass of milk just to get them to watch the game with me. So uh, I'm going to have to think about what's going to happen, uh, but uh, perhaps a friends thing and get the. Uh, uh, you know the usual routine going. Yeah, because I know how I know, and, I know how you roll, John. As I say, you mentioned uh, before in the interview, the the New Year's Eve party where there was some karaoke going down. I, I know mm-hmm. the parties that you're used to attending. When I strolled in, that was quite a, an affair. And there you were at the microphone singing. That was uh, something else. Well, I, I I'll tell you. I mean, I uh, first of all, I was I was like, how the hell did Eisen get in? But that was besides <laughs> the point. <laughs> Right. But the second part was, uh, you know, I have to say that not that it was a big victory, but you you got me in the karaoke role. I have to hand it to you, uh, you and Sinatra. Like, uh, sir, Thank you. You're a big Sinatra man. Well, I'm a New Yorker, you know. I mean, a New York kid's got to bang out the Sinatra. So it was good times. And I appreciate you calling in, John. Thanks. Hey, no problem, Rich. Take care. You bet. Enjoy the Super Bowl wherever you're watching it. All right. We'll see you soon. John McEnroe, everybody. He's fantastic. I mean, the takes that he has... Um, are are unique, and uh, I mean, who's who's been there and done that like him? And and uh, he can certainly walk the walk as well as talk the talk. Now, uh, we finish up this podcast with a special guest. I've been wanting to have him on all year long, and I, I held off to the Super Bowl. And what what a perfect Super Bowl uh, to have uh, this man lend perspective on with uh, the team that's touched the Lombardi Trophy the most against the team whose legendary coach. Uh, led to the trophy being named after him. And uh, Steve Sable joins us on the Rich Eisen podcast presented by Papa John. Steve, it's an honor to have you on as always. Rich, great to talk to you. And a big week for your family potentially too here. By the end of this week, by the end of this week, Ed Sable 
could be enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Steve. This is something I'm sure your whole family's on pins and needles now. Oh, it is. Well, it, it's uh, just, uh, Rich, just to my dad to be in the 15 finalists. It's a culmination of a really of a long love affair with making movies and the sport of football. And he combined those two loves, and he created a, a film company, company that celebrated and documented the NFL, and now you could say the NFL is, is celebrating him. And it's uh, it's been a great week for him, a great two weeks for him. Everybody's excited. Uh, you know, if it if it comes to pass, he's in the hall. That'd be terrific. But just to get to the final fifteen is is really great. Yeah, and it's it's remarkable. Is this the first time he's ever been in the final fifteen? He's been in the final twenty five a couple times, but uh, this is the first time he's in the in the final fifteen. Well, it's time. I mean, it's it. Re- I mean, it's really remarkable that uh, what what this has become, Steve. Do you ever sit back and and marvel? <laughs> and and, and well, lend, even let you know you're you're the king of perspective. Do you have pers- well, perspective about your own situation? Yeah, you know, it's in a way. I'm, I just think back to the 1960s when sports television was really a wilderness. I mean, uh, there was no black and white. There was no replay. There was no slow motion. Everything was shot from the press box. And I've always said my dad was sort of like a Davy Crockett. Uh, he was blazing a new trail. And then, uh, instead of a coonskin cap, he had a closet of plaid sport jackets. And uh, instead of a Bowie knife, he had a, a sharp wit and a, and a keen eye for quality. <laughs> yes. And uh, and uh, that, that's to me. I mean, we never had business plans or anything like that. It was just one year. We just look at each other, and say, "God, can you believe we're getting paid to do this?" It's unbelievable. You know, and one of my favorite moments of working here over the last seven years, I think we were just like one year old, or I think I've told you the story before, but right. eight, we were 18 months old. I'm walking from the office. We have one office at the time here. I'm walking from the one office to the one set across the way here in our complex in a way. And who's walking in but your dad? Ed just walked in off yeah. the streets just to say, "Hey, I want to see what's going on here." And yeah. he goes, "Would you?" He said, "Would you mind if I looked around?" And I'm like, yeah. "Well, we wouldn't exist if it weren't for you." <laughs> so yeah, let's well, walk with, around. Yeah, with my dad. That the thing all of us remember. I think his greatest talent was his optimism and his enthusiasm, and also was was encouraging risk. And and I think you understand this that to be good in this business you need you need freedom. But there are two types of freedom: the freedom to to come up with an idea, to express yourself, and then freedom from from somebody else saying, "Hey, well that's a good idea, but we're going to change that." And that was the thing that that we had, and that my father made sure that that uh, he maintained that, and he put quality before any other consideration. And we barely made a profit uh, because of that, but we're lucky we had a commissioner who saw in our films a way to create an image for the sport and to promote the game. So it was a it was a great time for a young film company to grow up in that period. Right. And uh, is your dad coming to North Texas for no? No. Okay. So no. so he'll no. be he'll be staying put, waiting for the phone to ring. This yep. coming week, he's 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 ninety five years old, That's... and I have to argue with him to put in his uh, hearing aid. I mean, his wits are uh, sharp, his mind is intact, but uh, he just doesn't like to wear a hearing aid. And every time I self <laughs> tell Dad, I said, "Damn, will you put that hearing aid in?" I'm tired of repeating myself, and he says, "Ah, you know why? I don't, I don't, I don't. I'm not going to put in." He says, "Young people have nothing to say, and old people just repeat themselves. <laughs> There's no reason for me to hear anything." <laughs> and let's talk. About about the Super Bowl matchup now, 
uh, Steve, what an incredible matchup from a from obviously an X's and O's point of view, but from mm-hmm. uh, the history of the game, from the 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 history books. You just take a look at these two teams; they 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 pretty much still look the same, right? I mean, they really haven't mm-hmm. changed the uniforms. They they both stand for something that they've stood for for decades at a time. Right. I'd love to get your thoughts on the Steelers and Packers playing in a well. A you're talking Super about Bowl. not only Rich, not only teams, but these are football cultures. And in recent years, I think the Super Bowl has often often felt a little more stylish than traditional. We've had Indianapolis, New Orleans, Arizona. Uh, but this year, there there's no sort of uh, feel-good story like we had with uh, um, New Orleans or a, a bumbling franchise that finally made it like with Arizona or, or Seattle. These These are the heavyweight programs. These are ones that know the way. You have the Packers that have won more NFL championships than anybody else. The Steelers have won more Super Bowls. They have very passionate fan bases. These aren't the corporate jet, Tommy, uh, you know, Johnny Cun late, lately types. So I think all of the things, when you look, is it going to be a classic? There are, there are things you want to check off. Franchise quarterbacks, check. Great organizations, check. NFL history, Check. Teams with big national followings? Check. Game is expected to be a close one? Check. You got all of these things, plus the Steelers barreling toward a a seventh Lombardi Mm. trophy. So all of these things, you know, people love storylines and narratives. So this one's got a great narrative for for this particular Super Bowl. And of all cities for these two teams to play in as well, you know, a lot of younger uh, football fans may not uh, have this significant strike them because, you know, the, the Cowboys uh, haven't really won a – they've won one playoff game since mm-hmm. the mid-'90s. And, you know, I know Dallas played Pittsburgh in the mid-'90s as well in the Super Bowl. But of all cities, for a terrible towel to be waved around or for the Packers to come in and hoist the Lombardi Trophy, and it's going to be tough for Cowboy fans who remember from back in the day, wouldn't you say, Steve? Yeah, oh, I think it'll be tough for, for Cowboy fans for that reason, Rich. But I, I think also – uh, I think we'll get the biggest attendance hmm. in Super Bowl history. I think it was the Pasadena that might have been the Steelers and uh, the Rams in Pasadena that I think had 101,000. It was the biggest crowd. I think uh, we're going to get the biggest crowd ever uh, for a Super Bowl uh, for this one. So it'll be it'll be for for all those fans that remember the Ice Bowl and remember you know the pack the packers used to deny the cowboys every year right back in the day uh, yeah uh, yeah the 66 championship the the greatest uh, game i've ever seen the ice bowl mm-hmm. it was uh, the the uh, that 68 drive or 68 yard drive with the packers across that frozen field against the doomsday defense to me is still the signal most most memorable moment of my uh, 49 championship games that I've attended, that still I, I remember the most vividly because to me, that particular game epitomized everything that Lombardi stood for and that to me was still the most the seminal moment in the in the game's history and what I remember is that being on the sidelines and my camera froze and I was sitting there freezing my butt off but I was cognizant of the fact that I was watching history. I was just thinking this was going to be the third straight championship from the pa- for the Packers, so uh, right. it was something that I still remember. Right, right. What would let's uh, because we've been talking about it through this podcast, even though this is um, tech, more than yesterday's news. Jay Cutler, what what would George Hallis have said 
if he heard this whole dialogue going on with Jay Cutler right now in Chicago? Well, you know, it's it's an interesting thing that's been going on with Jay Cutler because to me it's it's something that's really tied into television coverage because I don't think the issue is how how tough he was or whether he was in pain. It's just the shots that that people saw of him on the sidelines. He seemed so disinterested, detached. He wasn't there talking to any of his teammates. 20 years ago, nobody would have seen those shots and nobody would have said anything about this. I mean, you take for the he he wasn't playing. You have to feel the the, the code of honor, the the NFL code. He was hurt. He didn't play, and that would have been the end of it. But the image that people took away with him just sort of sitting there, disinterested, detached on the bench, that's the thing that I think has gotten everybody so fired up. It's hard for us to say how much, whether he was in pain or, or anything like that, but you could see he just didn't seem to be part of the team at that point. How many of your, uh, how many folks do NFL films have shooting a Super Bowl? This Not as many as you think, Rich. I really? mean, we we just yeah, we we all just have fifteen. I mean, we this is the easiest game of the year for us to shoot. Why is that? All pro, it's our all pro team. I mean, the fifth we we normally we just have three guys doing a game, and mm-hmm. that's really what. Now we have fifteen. This is our all pro team. The only problem here is just going to be getting to the stadium. Yeah. It's just the traffic. <laughs> that's a, that's the biggest problem that we have. Filming the games, nothing. That's easy. Right. And what? How do you get the film out of there? And, and and up and running so quickly on, on television. Well, actually, one of my father's favorite expressions, the one he used to have the, the our, our meeting before the Super Bowl, he would always end up by saying, remember, guys, we got a flap, F-L-A-P. That meant finish like a pro. Mm-hmm. And that make make sure all the film is labeled. Maybe a couple cameramen stay around to see if there's anything, any kind of closing shot that we can get on the field. Make sure it's in the boxes and everything. And then it's got to get to the airport. So, that that to us that's one of the biggest things is finishing the game and then we got to get the film we have a a little Lear jet that leaves right uh, from the airport a very small airport that night takes all the film right up here to Mount Laurel New Jersey and we start processing processing that film there'll be 30 to 40,000 feet of film that uh, that we'll be processing uh, beginning Monday night, and and how soon will 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 we see NFL films footage from the Super Bowl then? Well, we'll you'll see it on um, our show on Showtime on mm-hmm. Wednesday. Mm-hmm. There'll be there'll be shots on the NFL Network probably on Tuesday, and then on. Um, Thursday, we do a, a little recap that's on ESPN of, of a half-hour version of the game. It's it, it you know it truly is amazing what 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 you have and your dad ha- have built. And uh, I did this uh, with you on our first ever interview at a Super Bowl seven years ago now, uh, right. NFL Network when we were in Houston. And I'd love to go through this again for I, I even put it in my book, which by the way you wrote the forward for. Just to, <laughs> you were which I couldn't be more thankful. And I, when I look at my book on the shelf forevermore, it's a sit forward by Steve Sable. I mean, it's it doesn't get any better than that, <laughs> yeah, Steve. Well, so thank you. No, I, I wanted you know when you uh, I, I want to go back to that interview. Sure. There was an interview that you did with me and my dad. I forget what it was, but you were, you we, were, were wearing, we were wearing tuxedos, yep. and my dad was wearing his customary red socks. Yes, I'll never and that's one that. of his, uh, his sartorial idiosyncrasies, is wearing red socks. So it, to honor him at the Super Bowl, all of our cameramen and sound men are all going to be wearing bright red socks at the Super Bowl. I just ordered 150 pairs. <laughs> so, you know, hey, I'll you, wear you, it. You give me, uh, give me a pair. Say, 
Uh, you give me a pair. It, unfortunately, you know, I'm, I'm I'm covered by a desk, but I'll wear yeah. I'll wear the Red Sox. Um, this I will make sure that you get a pair of our. It's in. called the world's softest sock, bright red, and that's in honor of my father. Lock and all of our in. cameramen are going to be wearing red socks. Lock me in on that because <laughs> okay. I'm also hosting Saturday night. I'm hosting the the. Uh, the the announcement of um of the Pro Football Hall of oh, Fame class. Well, that's right. So if you know, in case I'm knocking on wood right now, this out happens, I'll bust oh, out the Red Sox great. on the spot. Steve. <laughs> okay, I will make sure we get that to on you. the that's spot. A great idea. Because I remember, I remember interview that interview. It was right before you got you. You and your dad were honored for the Lifetime Achievement Emmy. Right, that's where it was. At, that's in right. New York City, and I'll never right. forget that. That's um, right. But it, I want to go through this with you while I have you on the phone right now, because we did this uh, at the Super Bowl geez, seven years ago, and I wrote about it in my book. So we'll go through this again, because uh, all of us here at the network, we we put in a hopper a question: What do you want to ask Steve Sable when he comes on? It was the first time you were on NFL Network in an interview setting and uh and on the producers and we all got together and 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 i fired rapid fire to you so i'd love to see if uh if you have any new answers to these questions uh the smartest player you ever met was who the smartest player fran tarkenton Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and still to this day no yeah. question. Why well, was it, why I mean, was it the, the smartest, smartest player uh, it, with football or with life or with – I mean, Fran Tarkenton had a whole, uh, a whole big picture on not only football but a life. His father was a, was a minister. So he, I thought, you know, if it comes to football, I'd probably – I'd say Peyton Manning. Yeah, in terms of just the football X's and yeah. O's, Peyton Manning. Mm-hmm. What, about yeah. coach, what about coaching? The smartest coach? Mm-hmm. Sid Gilman. To me, he, his 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 um, strategy. His, he set up the framework for the modern passing game, and uh, maybe maybe Paul Paul Brown. I mean, Hallis to me was the George Washington of 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 the NFL. Uh, Paul Brown was the Thomas Jefferson. He gave the game a, 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 a structure and a shape. And you could also say he was also the Einstein and the Marconi of the game as well. So maybe Paul Brown would be my answer. What, then what would, who would Vince Lombardi be in that? Well, Lombardi was a motivator more mm-hmm. than uh, more than anything else. And I think with Lombardi, he is the patron saint of pro football, and he's one of those rare people who are as good as his legend. And his presence was so strong that it still, it still lives. And whenever and wherever uh, anybody competes, his spirit still summons up the best we have to offer. What would he say? I asked this at Bart Starr at the Super Bowl in Detroit, uh, Super Bowl Forty. What What would Lombardi say if he knew that his name was on the trophy that gets handed out to the champion every year? What the hell's going on out here? <laughs> That's what, nah, he would be very. He would be very because the trophy is is um, rich as a symbol of excellence, and everything that he did was pointed. Toward, toward the pursuit of excellence and the fact that uh, this trophy, which is the the symbol of excellence, has his as bears his name, is I'm, I'm sure he would be very proud of. Who's that. the dirtiest player you guys ever caught on camera? Um, well, Bucko Kilroy was was very dirty. Uh, you know, dirty's a tough. I'm trying to think of of someone who was really dirty, but I think of hard hard hitters as well. You know, there was a. Um, uh, Cliff Harris of the Cowboy. That that's a question. I boy, you know when it, when it comes to to hitting, Dick Butkus. But he wasn't dirty. Never he was dirty. a force of unmanageable proportions. But the, the way he tackled anything that was loose, if it was a chin strap, if it was a knee pad or an arm pad, anything that was dangling, mm-hmm. he'd rip off. 
And because of that style, I remember asking John Brody, and we were interviewing him, and I said, you know, when, when, how do you know, or how do you prepare yourself when the season starts? And he said, I know that football season is approaching because I have this recurring nightmare. And the nightmare is that I'm playing, uh, you know, in Wrigley Field, and I'm playing in the nude, and everybody on the opposing team is Dick Butkus. <laughs> and that sort of, you know, capsulized what it was like, you know, the way Butkus would tackle. Just anything that was loose, he'd rip off. Didn't you tell me Billy Ray Smith put stuff on his hands or something yeah. like that? Yeah, he used to take that... Um, 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 atomic bomb, right. and he would put it on his fingers. And in the first play of the game, his fingers would go right into the offensive lineman's uh, mask that's right before the game started. Yeah, that's that, that's that's probably dirty. Who was the first coach you ever miked, or your dad Joe, ever miked? Joe Q. Herrick, head coach of the Eagles from 1964 to 1968. And he, he was the opposite, let's say, of a, of a Bill Belichick. This guy was long-winded, bombastic, but in a very amusing way in that the front half and the back half of his sentences rarely matched up. So you end up with all these weird mixed metaphors like, you know, he, he busted through the line like a bat on a hill or, or that's a different <laughs> kennel of fish. I mean, he, he had all these weird uh, malaprops that uh, if he was alive today, I mean, he would ri- rival Rex Ryan <laughs> as far as press conferences. Right. right. Who's, the, uh, who's the, the one person that you at, at NFL Films have had a bleep out the most? Well, Rex Ryan. Is, without question. Yeah. yeah. You know, Marv was Levy uh, was – and that's funny because there's a, a man who had a Harvard degree. Marv Levy. Yeah. Really? You got a bleep a graduate out? Of a, a William and Mary graduate a degree from Harvard in history. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there were times when, when we had so many bleeps with Marv that you'd think it was like, you know, some heavy equipment backing up the whole time. You know, it was just <laughs> beep, 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 beep. But, but he, he used the word over-officious, though. Yeah. I mean, like, how, how, so... I know he did, but he also used chicken bleep. and, uh, <laughs> right. and uh, Yeah, I mean, you no, know, Marv was... I just think that it, he was so caught up in the game and so passionate mm-hmm. that uh you know Mike Tice could be could be fairly profane um but Rex but, has but, surpassed uh, them all Rex. Oh yeah no Rex is in a separate but <laughs> but Rex it just is so you know it's so natural I mean it's it's like you know like people talk about the the Jets now and they're talking about the hard knocking goddamn snacking Jets you mm-hmm. know it's right. it, 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 What what about the, the best venue what's your favorite place to go Film. Uh, well, that's, I'm trying to think. I, I still think Lambeau Field. I, I think it used to be Baltimore Memorial Stadium. I used to love that because of the band. The cult band would come out, mm-hmm. and right before they da 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 da. You know that was uh, the cult song. I, I guess Lambeau Lambeau would be the the uh, because of the memories there, and that's when I was a camp. Spent a lot of time up there as a cameraman. Do you got a good Howard Cosell story for me? Your favorite Howard story? Oh boy, yeah, I'm trying to. There's so many with Howard. Um, I know when we first started um, the halftime highlights, mm-hmm. and Rune Arledge told us that you know we we thought we were going to use uh, uh, possibly Facenda, or we thought it was going to be Chris Schenkel, and uh, Rune said, "No, well, I want to use Howard Cosell." And the first time we did the the um, uh, the, the, we did a pass through with a, like a rehearsal that we always wanted to use music. 
And uh, Howard got very upset that uh, there's music behind it. We said, but all of our highlights have music. And he says, listen, let me tell you something. The, we have the, the English language is the most precious possession that we have in this country, and I know how to use it. Now get rid of the music. And that was the end of the music for that. How'd you find... But, 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 uh, Howard was also uh, great with the, with the interviews when he would do, uh, you know, he'd be t- talking about himself all the time. Of course. And then he would say, you know, now uh, enough about me. What do you think of me? You know? <laughs> you know? How did you and your dad find Facenda? He was just a local anchor in Philadelphia? Yeah. Well, one of the things we wanted to do when, when is to present pro football in a, um, uh, you know, the way Hollywood presents, uh, or the way um, Hollywood presents fiction with a dramatic flair. And we wanted to use a different type of narrator because we wanted to write less script. The scripts of those old highlights were very clever, but they were written in like. Uh, Milt Plum pegs a peach of a past to become the apple of Coach George Wilson's eye. Mm-hmm. Well, we didn't want to use, we wanted to have much more nouns and verbs. And I had grown up as dad, you know, and, and, and dad as well, listening to John Facenda. He was the Walter Cronkite of CBS here in Philadelphia, you know, this great oaken voice. And uh, we both felt with this new type of script we wanted to write, he would be the perfect person to read it. But we didn't know whether he wanted to, you know, that if he was even a football fan. So my dad approached him uh, actually at a at a at a saloon here in Philadelphia, <laughs> the RD, RDA club, and and it was just sort of a chance meeting. And my dad, being a great salesman, said, you know, Mr. Presenda, we're we're doing this film called They Call It Pro Football, and we wanted to know if you would be interested in in reading the narration. And he said, sure. And we, the next, uh, about two weeks later, I'd finished the script and we went into a recording studio. And I, I, to this day, I remember tapping him on his shoulder. That's the way we did the script and listening to him read the first line. And it was, it starts with a whistle and ends with a gun. Mm. And I looked at my dad and our eyes met and we knew right away <laughs> we're on to something. But yeah. the odd thing it was, Rich, is nobody liked him in the beginning. Really? No, the, I, Wellington Mara didn't like him. Um, uh, Carol Rosenblum on the Colts, you know, we should use Chuck Thompson. So we had to argue with the owners in the beginning to keep him. And, and they, they said, well, he doesn't know anything about football. And I said, well, he doesn't have to. I'm writing a script, which sort of hurt my feelings. I just had weeks writing me a script, and they thought he was ad-libbing. So that was a little bit of a come. But then Pete Rosell interceded, and he said, look, I think Ed Sable knows what he's doing here. Let's let's keep this guy as a narrator. And then finally everybody got used to him, and, and he became the voice of NFL film. And is it true that there's some uh, uh, in a vault somewhere, um, some outtakes of Facenda yes. cursing up a blue streak? Oh, it's great, yeah. Absolutely. There's a great vault. There's a whole little, um, about two, three minutes of, of, of send a cursing. <laughs> <laughs> but, that, you know, that's, you know, we always said that if the, if right. the Last Supper right. ever had a final, had an after-dinner speaker, it would have been to send us. So it would be very bad to have, a, you know, have, have to send a cursing. You know? But that but exists somewhere. That. It exists oh, yes. Somewhere. Oh yeah, oh, I may, I may, I may have to stop by somewhere. Yeah. But, uh, well, I'll I, deliver that to you with the red sauce. I will take it. I will take it. Hey, Steve, thanks again for the time. You're the best. Great. You are the oh. absolute best. And I've always said it: NFL Network would not exist if it oh. weren't for you and your dad. Your dad should be in the Hall of Fame. The man's 95. If not now, when? This is uh, all the best. It should work out. All right. Thanks a lot, Rich, and I'll uh, I'll see you in a couple days. You got it, Steve Sable. Everybody.
an absolute classic. I want to thank him, John McEnroe, Joe Buck, B.J. Raji, Heath Miller, for all calling in for this Super Bowl edition of the Rich Eisen Podcast presented by Papa John's. Follow me all week long on Twitter, at Rich Eisen. My Facebook page will be filled with pictures behind the scenes this week from the Super Bowl at Facebook.com slash Rich Eisen. will also be up right on my blog where you can always find all the editions of the Rich Eisen podcast, including that one with Aaron Rodgers from back in week number three at NFL.com slash Rich Eisen. We already have a, a lineup set for the next podcast, the post-Super Bowl podcast next Tuesday. Troy Aikman, who's doing the game with Joe Buck on Fox, will join me along with Matthew Perry, who's got a new show coming out. Uh, next week on ABC called Mr. Sunshine. It has a, a sports feel to it. So some good times uh, in the future. And this week, enjoy Super Bowl 45, everybody. This is Rich Eisen signing off from North Texas on the Rich Eisen Podcast. Stay listening, friends.